thank you, thank you. Oh, oh wow, great, great studio audience today. Um, <laughs> they're just here for previews. We get about every night, right, Brandon? Exactly, exactly. Classic, classic studio. Um, yeah, so welcome to the Robert L. White Show. Uh, I have to actually look for a camera this time. I feel really official. This is kind of cool. Uh, but uh, yeah, so this is uh, a long-awaited debate with mm -hmm. Brandon here. Uh, I mentioned this in the uh, podcast episode about um, N.T. Wright when I got to actually talk to N.T. Wright about theories of justice because I knew I was going to debate Brandon. Um, so I got some tips from him. And um, yeah, so we've been talking about doing this for a while. And After I win this debate, does N.T. Wright come on and I get to debate him? Uh, yeah, he's the boss nice. that you have to get to. Um, so uh, there are probably a few people in between. I feel like that's quite a job. But um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so if you're listening, thanks for tuning in. Um, uh, has your you might want to check it? Has your mom like texted like you? Chicken here, chicken here. Good. That was like we did like 90 minutes of like. <laughs> um, actually, one of my debates with uh, Ryan. Um, I accidentally left it focused on him the entire time. It was a hangouts debate. So every time I was talking, it was just showing him the whole time for like <laughs> over an hour, but it's still a good debate. Anyway, um, yeah, so welcome. Uh, please uh, hit subscribe if you like this sort of stuff. Um, um, I love talking about philosophy and uh, apologetics. Um, and just to introduce Brandon here, um, I ever since I heard that he worked at a funeral home because he wanted to understand death better, I realized he was a good person to have, uh, a very interesting person <laughs> that either terrifies me or intrigues me. <laughs> Maybe a little bit of both. <laughs> so, but no, um, uh, he has a philosophy degree. He also was a debate champion uh, in high school of sorts. Uh, well, yeah, did you did you win any, like, yeah, what's I mean, your I, deal? A couple different tournaments, but Back in high school. There you go. Okay. But uh, so I really shouldn't be doing this because I've never done a timed debate of any sort. So, um, yeah. So basically, we're talking about today is the title of the debate is Theories of Justice um, is Retribution Necessary for it. And so before we talk about what that means, kind of do some quick intro, since we don't have a moderator here, um, I'm just going to go through the format. So uh, what we're planning on doing is we're going to give some quick introductory comments on the topic because a lot of people are like, what does that even mean exactly? And then we're doing um, 10 to 15-ish minute openings. Uh, Brandon's going to go first. Brandon is for um, retribution is necessary. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I will give a 10 to 15 minute opening. Then we're going to do five minute cross-examine, which I think will be really interesting where we get to ask each other questions. And then we're doing 10 minute, 10 to 15 minute rebuttals. And then we're going to do 20 minutes with our wonderful audience here. Um, where both like, and a lot of these debates, like they have Q and A, but I also just want to hear like what you guys, you know, think. Um, uh, obviously, especially after hearing us talk, um, what that sparks in your mind about the topic and your own theories. So after that, we're just going to do like three to five minute closings each. So in total, that should add up to about 90 minutes. Um, but you know, we'll see how it all goes. Um, and yeah, I think that's most of the, oh yeah. The only other thing is since he believes in retribution, if he wins, um, I have to be punished somehow. <laughs> and if I win, 
I'm going to forgive him out, out of the kindness of my heart. Because <laughs> I don't believe retribution. So it seems only fair. Uh, doesn't seem fair. But uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, why don't we? Uh, did you want me? Did you have any upfront comments or do you want me to handle uh, it? Go first? ahead and start. Okay. And then I can fill in anything that I missed. Great. So, um, first of all, I think this is interesting because. It's funny that this is the most like formal debate I've done on like my podcast. And it's the one I probably feel the less secure in my position. I do hold it, but it's it's a very abstract topic and it's a little hard to figure out exactly uh, sometimes even how to describe it and what we're even talking about. It gets complicated. So I definitely I hold my position, but uh, I see this as like both a formal time debate and also a bit of an exploratory discussion, which I know you've also said that you're not like staunchly on right. your side either. Yeah. So um, yeah, just to set expectations, I don't think either of us, well, you're the debater from high school, so we'll see how you do things. But at least for me, it will be somewhat exploratory because I'm trying to figure out what my viewpoint is um, as well. Mine definitely changes, I wrote this, so. <laughs> nice, good. Um, yeah, and like my goal with my podcast in general is to bring clarity. So we're both going to be trying to break the idea of justice into its component parts and figure it out. And so my main goal is that all of us would leave tonight feeling like we understand what makes up the idea of justice better, even if uh, we change views or, or roughly keep the same view or whatever. So um, yeah, one thing up front with this topic is Justice is a, a pretty large word that could encompass a lot of different things. And one thing that we are not going to be focusing on is the practical application of it, because that gets very hairy and tough to figure out on its own, uh, even when you know what fundamentally you think uh, about justice. So um, we're talking about fundamentally what justice is, what are the requirements of justice to be rendered. Um, and crucially, is retribution a part of that? And retribution um, simply meaning a punishment served out to uh, the wrongdoer, essentially. Uh, is that necessary for justice to be um, served? And there are, that's, you could call the traditional view. It's definitely the practical view. And this is where the practical versus abstract comes. Because when, you, when you're talking practical, you're starting to talk about um, does the prison system work and all this sort of stuff. And that that's a little bit hard to, that that's a whole nother can of worms. So um, there's alternative theories of justice, like the restorative. Um, I don't even, do you know the names of some of the other ones in particular? Restorative or, seems to be the biggest one. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, and I don't even think too much in terms of like one camp. Um, I'm just trying to think in terms of like what makes up justice and I'm questioning if one of those parts is retribution, I'm not sure that that is one of the, the parts once you break it down. So um, let me, I'm gonna have notes on my phone. I'm not uh, texting anyone, just FYI. Um, so yes, we're gonna be focusing on the abstract. And then the other thing that this really comes home to is uh, theologically for Christianity, like what happened on the cross with Jesus, because that obviously was some rendering of justice, uh, but it was also forgiveness. Um, what transaction was happening, if it was a transaction, uh, theories of atonement are a whole nother topic about like, was it 
Christ setting an example. Um, so that is where it uh, is important for Christianity and also um, the idea of like a final judgment, like how is punishment meted out by God in the, the final judgment. And even if you're not religious, those are great, I think, thought experiments of breaking of detaching justice as an abstract idea, because that is what these things like the cross and final judgment, they get to the heart of justice, you, you would hope. Um, and so they're still really helpful, I think, thought experiments. Um, so yes, we're focusing on that fundamental abstract idea of what justice is. Um, yeah, I think that's all I had as a kind of moderator introductory remarks. Did you have anything else? I don't think so. I think that about covers it. Is there? Yeah, yeah. Oh, knocking. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, so in different forms of debate, uh, if somebody agrees with an argument, they'll often knock. And so we've invited our audience to knock when points come up that they like. Uh, they can also hiss if there's a point that they don't like, but that is slightly less encouraged. Uh, and in the live chat, you can also knock however you want to do that. Yeah, we will be constantly stopping the debate to look at the live chat to see if someone typed the word knock. So, yeah. All right. Great. So, um, yeah, just to go over the format again, 10, minute, 10 to 15 minute openers, cross-examine, short cross-examine, 10 to 15 minute rebuttals. Q&A, open discussion, quick closer. So uh, Brandon's going to take it off. Do uh, you mind if we pray first. real quick? Before uh, yeah, yeah, let's go for it. Great. God, thank you for this time together. Thank you for giving us minds to seek you. Uh, we're interested in this topic because it's a part of your heart. and We want to know your character better. I pray that you would help bring clarity to us, uh, help our words communicate help us see each other and what the other person's saying and help us have a good time with it in Christ's name. Amen. 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 All right. So take it away, Brad. Why, thank you, Robert. I'm going to start the timer on the computer. Good. Because my phone, I think would fall off this. So, okay. I'd like to start by introducing my weakest point. I'm going to be arguing that justice requires retribution, but the more I think about this concept and read what I think God has to say about it, the less my concept of justice seems to line up what I think the cultural norm is. I am afraid that as I begin to talk, you'll begin to think to yourself, even if I were to agree with him, this just isn't justice. I'd like to say that this is because I've begun to uncover distinctions that have hitherto been covered up by the English language and how we use the term justice, Though, on the other hand, I might have just so lost my way that even our definitional maps don't track where I've gone. I guess you all will get to be the decision makers for that. So what do I mean when I say that justice requires retribution? I primarily mean two things. One, when moral rulings stem from a desire to, per to protect the vulnerable, our impulse to punish the perpetrator when arising from love of the vulnerable is a good and righteous thing. This does not mean that our desire can simply be lived out or given priority among our actions, needs to be put in its proper place. But, and importantly, it has a proper place. Two, when our moral rulings are between equally powered parties, it makes intuitive moral sense for the harms that arise from the party acting in the wrong to be primarily borne by the party in the wrong. This too, however, needs to be put in its proper place. Simply thrusting all the consequences of the wrong action on the wrongdoer 
is often a bad idea, but also to try to distribute them among everybody can be equally as foolish. To flush out these ideas, I'll need to do two things. First, attempt to the degree that I am able to show what values retribution injustice ought to be subservient to, or to put it more directly, discuss what justice is pointed towards such that we can intuitively understand what would be necessary to act justly. Secondly, in order to make sense of these lofty concepts, I'll need to put them back into the real world. Don't worry, I'll do both of these things a little bit later on. But first, let me just clarify a little bit more about what Robert said at the beginning. We're not talking about a legal concept of justice here. Even if we are entirely right about justice, one of us, still translating that into a legal code would be a very complicated matter. Uh, you have to take into consideration biases, the fact that sometimes juries are going to be wrong, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and so anything that we say here is not simply or naively prescriptive for any legal implications. Uh, so what do I mean, or, or sorry, what does it mean to say that justice requires retribution? Well, I certainly do not mean that justice is retribution. I'm not saying an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth as that idea is thought of now, which to my understanding is rather different from its original biblical context. Mm -hmm. uh, it is a sufficient, it is uh, that, that that is not a sufficient idea of justice. I'm not saying that causing an evil person to suffer is in some important way what made something right. What I'm saying is that justice requires retribution and retribution is integral to justice, though not sufficient for justice. It's a necessary but not sufficient condition. I think that this is true for two reasons and they are broken up by the two things that I highlighted earlier. One, I think that retribution is a part of the love for the vulnerable. When you love somebody and somebody I, else who is, especially if they're of greater power, is hurting that person, the person that you love, you become angry. And that anger, while it can be a problem, also has a good function. That part of you that just isn't very sad when you hear that a child rapist was murdered in prison. The part of you that isn't satisfied when you learn that Stalin merely died of a stroke. The part of you that roots for Liam Neeson in all of the Taken movies. That just isn't a bad part of you. There is something good to the fact that when I, as a grade schooler, grade schooler learned that my little sister was being picked on by the boys in her class, that I had this impulse to beat her up. Uh, beat them up. I had an impulse to beat them up. I, I didn't. It would have been wrong for me to do so. But that impulse wasn't bad. And to bring this back around to the event that actually started this discussion between Robert and I, I think that in the instance of the Passover, uh, in the Exodus story, that while I don't understand how all of that worked out justly, I do understand that there is some deep part of God that says, I love these people, I love my people. And when other people go and slaughter their children, for years and years and treat them horribly, that punishment must be served out. That is a part of loving the Israelites in that case. Okay, so now to the second point. Retribution is a part of, retribution is a part of making our actions meaningful. An action without consequences isn't something that we care about. It's not a meaningful action. That is why people who don't believe in the afterlife sometimes will argue that life is meaningless since nothing that you do will matter in the end. Of course, what you do, even within this worldview, will change how the end is, i.e. the specific locations of certain particles will be different. But since we do not care about such a consequence, people then argue that life is meaningless. 
So likewise, if we had the power to just magic away all bad consequences to actions, as God seems to have, we would not want to have such a power or we would not want to use it, for it would render our choices meaningless. If, no matter what you did, good things happened to you and everybody around you, you would not truly be a free agent. And so, to respect agency, there must be some sort of quid, uh, quid pro quo with your actions. Thus, we get two principles. One, the powerful stepping in, even violently stepping in, and maybe especially violently stepping in, to defend the weak or vulnerable is good. It, at the very least, passes the gut check with flying colors. And integral to this process is a form of retribution. The point isn't simply that, that we should cause evildoers to suffer. The larger part is to show that the sort of behavior that was originally harming the person that you love, that that is not tolerable. And that is a form of showing love to the party that's being hurt. Liam Neeson's daughter sees love in her dad's bullet as it kills her kidnapper. Israel saw their God's love when he drowned the most powerful army on earth. The second principle is this. Stripping actions entirely of their consequences does not respect people as agents. Likewise, bad things have bad consequences, at least for somebody. Making these cease to exist is not love, but infantilization. Let's put this in terms of a rather trivial example. Let's say that I were to borrow Robert's laptop and break it. And let's say that I was doing this maliciously. I learned that he had a really good speech coming up and I wanted to get rid of it. So I gave myself an advantage in this debate by destroying his laptop. <laughs> and I know that he really likes his laptop. Uh, and let's say that he even has some of his last photos of his childhood dog on his, on his laptop. And so I'm just being a total jerk. Now, Robert at first is going to be angry and want me to pay for a new one. And by the way, since he backed up everything on his laptop, he didn't actually lose everything. We then go down to uh, the store and Best Buy decides that they're having a free laptop day sale. Uh, and so we're able to not only get Robert a new laptop, but in fact, get him a better laptop than his original. In this case now, Robert has everything restored to him. He has a better laptop. Uh, the Best Buy people, let's say that they felt sorry for him and so they even restored his old backup. Uh, he hasn't lost time. He hasn't lost really anything. But I guess the question is, does that seem like that is a sufficient solution for that situation? Has restoration, has really the end of justice come about if it doesn't cost me anything for being a total jerk to Robert? I think, no, that that is missing something. Now, of course, these sorts of situations where there is no cost are very rare in the real world. The odds that my malicious behavior happens to be on Best Buy's free laptop day sale is super slim. But... The important thing is that seemingly God could snap the bad decisions just into the ether. He could supernaturally heal and even upgrade Robert's laptop. I bet he wouldn't. And I think that God would probably make me pay for a new one and that he would be right to do so. And this brings us to the important point. The retribution in both of these cases isn't simply an eye for an eye, again, in the modern sense. It is going somewhere. The Egyptians aren't subject to 400 years of slavery while the Israelites kill their babies. Instead, a mighty miracle is done that brings nations to fear God. Likewise, Robert doesn't just get to bust up my laptop. Instead, I have to buy him a new one. It's not an eye for an eye. But 
Likewise, if God just healed Robert's laptop or teleported the Israelites out of Egypt the moment that the Egyptians got a bit mean, we would think that there is something missing, something key. And that's what I'm arguing. Not that justice is retribution. Not that suffering for the sake of suffering makes things right. But that suffering on the way to making things right is necessary and in a weird way makes things even more right. Okay, so now I bet I hear you thinking to yourself, what about the cross? Isn't that a instance of forgiveness that seems to take away punishment? Well, my answer is sort of a yes and a no. Uh, before I go into that, let me just obviously note that the cross is large, huge. I don't understand it all. Uh, we're not going to talk about all the parts of it, but this is going to be talking about the cross as it comes to retribution. Um, so first, to continue the distinction I was making earlier, the line of protective justice, just uh, the line of protective justice and justice as mediation. I wanted to talk about both of those. First, the cross is justice as protection. I think that the cross is Jesus saying to us, I know you are hurting. I know what happened to you, and I know that it's absolutely wrong. In fact, I stepped down from heaven and suffered in this way to be sure that nothing like this ever happens again in my kingdom. At the same time, I love the person who hurt you. I love him just as much as I love you. And so because of that, if you must cast stones, please cast them at me. At the same time, Jesus then reminds us, and remember that the way that we are doing this, you not punishing the person who wronged you, that same grace will also be extended to you. By doing this, Jesus can hold in tension the sometimes incomprehensible wrongs that people do to each other while also moving us towards a place of retribution. He can say, what happened to you is wrong and I won't stand for it. But because I love your abuser, I will protect you by healing him. The other paradox of the cross that I think gives us agency is the fact that these things aren't just snapped away. I think that people will argue against the wrongness of an action by saying, well, it doesn't hurt anybody or who does it hurt? I think that this gets to a central point that the wrongness of a thing in at least one important way has to do with how it hurts people. And so if God miraculously just took away how any consequence might hurt somebody, then the sin that he's coming to save us from is not really sin in a meaningful way. What would actually be bad about that action? However, we cannot, while still being in a relationship with God, atone for that sin. We can't pay for that sin. And so once again, Jesus walks this incredible paradoxical line of saying, this suffering is real. You actually caused this, but... I will take it on. And as somebody that we then grow to love, we then uh, get to, I guess, suffer in that too. Uh, but it's a type of suffering that leads us to a deeper understanding of his love for us and to a deeper place of intimacy and vulnerability with him. So uh, I'm beginning to run out of time. So let me just make a couple last points. As I've said, I think that retribution as it comes to justice is a very complicated thing. I think that we as people will not really know how to do it. And when it comes to exactly how we're going to bring it into justice, we have to be looking at what do you want to come out of this justice? And I think that the correct answer is restoration, that we should always be aiming for restoration, but because of our need for agency 
And because of our need to show those we love that we want to protect them and that the abuse that happens is wrong, that that requires some element of retribution. I then think that the miracle of the cross is that Jesus was able to walk both of these things simultaneously, that he was able to both show love and with sort of an iron fist say that this is going to be unacceptable going forward while also uh, not making us pay because we couldn't pay. The point of that justice was to lead towards restoration in our relationship with God. And consequently, retribution had to be subservient to that. And if retribution is subservient to that, we could not pay. And that's ultimately going to be my case. So I'm going to send the floor over to Robert. So uh, Brandon used hitherto in his uh, opening statement, and so he might have already won. That's, uh, <laughs> I don't know if I can rise to that. But um, yeah, I really appreciated your opening remarks, and in particular, um, how prepared you are. Um, I'm going to might disappoint some for being, well, if you watch my podcast, you know that I don't script things out. So, <laughs> uh, so yes, mine is not as scripted, um, but I'd like to touch on some key points. Um, and I'm going to save some things about Brandon's, uh, what he said for my rebuttal time. But just up front, I think we probably do agree, honestly, 80 to 90%, I think. Um, I, I think what I particularly want to attack, uh, you've kind of already said you might not even hold yourself uh, this position. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. So anyway, um, for... Uh, what I want to talk about. Um, I thought it'd be helpful if I started just kind of um, autobiographically how I started to care about this topic. And um, because I think it, it helps uh, give understanding of why it matters. And um, Brandon really already brought it up, which is uh, theories of the atonement. Um, I grew up thinking there's really only one way of understanding the atonement. And in particular, a, a sort of extreme version of it, but what I would argue is maybe one of the most common ways people understand the atonement is that basically God had all this wrath built up because of sin, and he needed to pour it somewhere, and he was like, I'm going to pour it on all these people, and then Jesus was like, wait, me, and he was like, okay, <laughs> like that, and then it's like, and it's almost like Thanos, like, you know, like shooting someone with like a power beam, and then it's like, all right, what were we doing? Let's get on with things. Uh, so it just kind of feels like um, immediately if you start to, to view it in almost that kind of metaphysical sense, uh, some very weird questions arise. One is, uh, and Muslims bring this up against Christianity often, actually, and it's been charged against Christianity since the earliest days. Is it just to actually have an innocent person pay for another's sins? Um, is that just like we could do it, but is that actually moral to do that? So that comes up. Another, I think a bigger question is, is that really forgiveness? And I know Brandon touched on that some, uh, but it starts to seem like, wait, doesn't that mean God got his payment still? If he still got his payment, is that forgiveness? Like if God needs, once again, this is a caricature, but I think it is verges very close to how a lot of people think about this. If God needed to punch someone, 
and someone else stepped in, God still got to punch someone. Like, isn't forgiveness not to punch? So it just, it raises some very interesting questions um, that I will return to. But basically, um, what I like to do is try to, uh, well, first of all, I want to give a name to that. Um, basically, as I conceptualize this and like would listen to pastors and not just pastors, really theologians, uh, people very respected. I mean, this is a very common view. Um, it's starting to seem like there is this thing that I like to call the cosmic accounting book, that there is this accounting book in the cosmos. <laughs> and when people do something evil, uh, we go into the red. The cosmos goes into the red. We're, we're in debt. And we got to get that back somehow. And it really starts to seem like a numbers game. And so, and that's God's wrath. And it's like, it's like, you can almost do math equations with it. Um, and so it's this cosmic accounting book that I take on bridge with basically. And what I would say is like, I would be happy if when we leave tonight, everyone is at least suspicious of the cosmic accounting book. We might still believe in something called retributive justice, but if we are at least suspicious of this, adding the numbers together to get a result and God just has to get that number, um, then I would like to, to, I would be happy if we're suspicious of that. And I'm going to return to one idea on that um, to make it a little more stark near the end. But um, so what I want to do uh, real quick is just try to reboot, start fresh and build up, try to figure out what we are sensing when we think about justice, when we see a murderer, a rapist, uh, think about Hitler. Uh, we we're going to have a debate about how long it took before Hitler came up in this debate. So, you know, um, but, you <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, but when we think about that, what is it that we're sensing? It's, it's, it's both basic and primal and also complex. Uh, and it also quickly turns into something negative that we call personal vengeance. And often personal vengeance ends up being uh, we do something worse than the original crime, and we might still enjoy that. It might still feel good. So it's not, we can't totally base it on, on that. So anyway, um, I got a little bit of a knock on a sofa, so you couldn't hear it, but it happened. <laughs> All right. Um, so, so let me, let's picture a scenario where we see um, someone on TV, a, a high profile trial of like someone who did something truly atrocious. And what, what is that sense? Like, what is that sense when they get acquitted? And everyone knows they did it, let's say. Um, and where it's like, oh, justice wasn't done. So I want to briefly see if I can break that into the component parts and see if retribution is one of those elements missing. So I think the most obvious thing that has to happen for justice to be done is the evil has to cease, that we have to stop evil from happening. This is the most obvious one. Like, justice clearly has not been rendered if uh, Hitler is still uh, committing genocide. Like, obviously, that is the most fundamental, that we have to stop that evil from happening. Secondly, um, I think there is a very fundamental sense, and I think implicitly, and sometimes explicitly, Brandon was uh, alluding to this a lot, but there's this very deep sense that we want evil to be called what it is, and everyone to know that was evil, and it, yeah, what you did, no, you were the one 
they did something. I'm accidentally pointing at the camera. I was actually picturing like the person on trial, but um, <laughs> not you. But um, we want some, the best word is vindication. Um, like you can kind of have this thought experiment of what if Hitler won the war and most people think that what he did was okay. That just like uh, a chill of her spine of like, no, the tr it's, it really ties into our sense of truth. Uh, and truth is such a both fragile and core part of our existence. And when there isn't vindication and when something bad is not called bad, there's a sense of this deterioration of reality and we want to bring that back. In fact, one term, um, I think British people use this more, but I think N.T. Wright talks about it, is uh, setting things aright. Um, and I think it's a really helpful term. We want to, uh, and actually justify on your computer, like justify text, it's like, Re bringing things back into order, you know, setting things right. And so if Hitler, if, if we don't get some cosmic declaration, some equivalent to some cosmic declaration that what Hitler did was wrong, there's this uh, itching sense of, of just that lack of vindication. Um, and so I would say that that is separate from simply Hitler's suffering. Um, when it, like it, well, what I'm talking about is the, the deep sense of fulfillment we get when that person on trial who did the awful thing is convicted and like the judge has some concluding statement that's like really deep about how they affected people's lives. And it's like, it's this deep vindication of the truth is being told that this person thought they're gonna get away with it, thought that maybe in their sick mind it was okay to do this and publicly declared, we're saying this was not okay. So, so we have two things so far. The evil has to cease. The evil has to be declared evil in some, I don't know how to measure that, but somehow, obviously, when you're talking about God, that is the ultimate declaration that it's him, God declaring something evil. So the third is where it gets tricky. And third is where we have that sense of evil needs to pay. The person needs to pay. What I'd like to do is argue that when you break out the feelings of why we want that person to pay, there isn't one that is what could plausibly be called retribution. Uh, and what I mean by re retribution is they kind of have to suffer to rebalance the books, back to the cosmic accounting book. And, and once again, I think this is where we're going to agree. Um, you said earlier to me, unless you've changed your mind since last week, that you don't believe in the cosmic accounting book, you know? And so, um, in a sense, like we probably do agree at the most ultimate um, uh, at, in the end. But um, so anyway, that sense of the evildoer has to pay. I think we can actually divide that out into separate feelings. One is we want um, we want an example to be made. So that goes along with the vindication of what is right and wrong. We want, if this person serves time in jail or is executed or whatever, then that really, I think a large part of the, the satisfaction is not the mere fact that that person suffered. I think the larger thing is the vindication of that that was wrong. So I think that partly ties into a sense of, of it being declared that that truly was wrong. So um, in a practical circumstances. The best way to get that vindication of that was truly wrong is that they actually have to suffer because it kind of seals the deal on that. Secondly, deterrence. We naturally want uh, that. And this goes with example, it, uh, setting an example. 
is we want to set that, uh, we want to have deterrence for future acts like that. A third is, um, uh, is an unhealthy sense of vengeance. And it's natural to us, but we all know at some point that is a poisonous thing in our humanity that we want them to suffer for suffering's sake. So I would argue that on a practical level, when we want someone to pay, we want an example to be made, we want deterrence, we want that um, vindication that that was wrong. And then we also have um, potentially a negative component of us simply enjoying seeing that suffering as a kind of rebound effect of our own suffering. Um, that truly is the bad version of eye for an eye. So um, I guess what I would argue is retribution might be necessary on a practical level as a tool to affect these other parts of justice. But I think it's very different when you say retribution is literally absolutely core to justice, where justice has not happened until this person suffers. I think the formula is justice hasn't happened until this person suffers because when they suffer, uh, the, the, the downtrodden will be vindicated. Um, an example will be set. Deterrence will happen. In other words, I think retribution is often a tool, um, but when you actually put it as part of the absolute core of justice, it actually can um, encourage vengeance. Uh, it gives you a reason to feel justified in your own sense of vengeance. When you want to pay eye for an eye for someone, you can appeal to this idea that the cosmos is out of, ba out of balance until they suffer. But I would argue the cosmos is out of balance until um, the evil ceases, there's divine vindication, all that sort of thing. So I just don't think it's absolutely core. And just to give an example of what happens when you make it absolutely core, so I already talked about some of the things in the atonement where you start to get these kind of absurd Scenarios. Another um, part where uh, retribution theory comes absurd, I think, is in the final judgment. Um, a lot of times people have questioned how could God um, torture someone for eternity for a time-bound life? They didn't live for eternity, so why are they being tortured for eternity? Uh, first of all, I do not believe in eternal conscious torment. I don't think that's even uh, biblical, personally. I believe in what's called annihilationism, which is ultimately people are snuffed out of existence um, if they're not with the program, you could say. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is getting off topic, but uh, the point is, like, uh, the whole, the whole uh, eternal conscious torment was, uh, uh, yeah, that, that I've never bought into that. Um, that's always been a problem for me. But anyway... Even if you believe in internal conscious torment, you have this problem of like, okay, this person lived 75 years and okay, let's put them in fire for eternity. So this is a common theory among theologians. A common theory is that maybe it's that when they're in hell, maybe they've earned, and they even use the term accrue, uh, which back in Cosmic Accounting book, we're back to that, um, accrue 80 years of punishment 
the punishment in hell. So they're in hell, but guess what? When they're in hell, they start cursing God and start being selfish, and they've accrued more punishment. <laughs> and God is like, oh, it's almost done with you, and now i got to punish you longer. And then it's like, oh, it's almost done with you. Oh, dang. And literally, this is a common theory of how eternal conscious torment can be just. Um, and so... Um, to me, that once again, you're adding numbers in a counting book. It's like God seriously can't simply say the evil has ceased, the the vulnerable have been vindicated. I God has shown up and said what you did was wrong, and that person now for the evil to be to cease. And talking about free will, I'll have to talk about this more in my rebuttal. But for that evil to cease, maybe that person does have to be snuffed out of existence. But that's very different than having to torture them for specifically 80 years because in the books, that's what adds up for the two murders that person committed. So, um, <laughs> um, yeah, so in sum, um, the, the cosmic accounting book is my target here. And uh, it will be really interesting to see what Brandon thinks about that. Thanks, guys. All right, do you want to trust them me first? Or do you want me to cross them you first? Um, I'll, I'll ask you first, I guess. Okay. Is that what we Sounds should good. do? Since I don't know what makes sense. All right, five minutes. Right. So we're oh yeah, we decided we're both going to stand for this. Um. All right. Well, I I mean, this is, should be safe for your rebuttal. But like, what what's your initial take as far as like me targeting the cosmic accounting book? And your, where do you think the the key pivot point there is? I think that you have a metaphysical, you're skeptical of a metaphysical accounting uh, and how linear that has to be. And I'm with you on that. I think where we disagree is going to be in uh, whether or not even if there isn't a metaphysical accounting book, mm -hmm. whether or not almost pretending as though there is something like that is practically useful. And that's sort of where I got into the mediation thing and the idea that wrongness necessarily has consequences and to remove those consequences, to remove the suffering is to deny that agent agency. And so even if there isn't an accounting book where all the numbers need to be uh, you know, lined up, there is still a sense of there is brokenness here. Right. And if that brokenness does, that, that brokenness has to go somewhere. Uh, and that's really fishy metaphysical language. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think that that's ultimately where I'm going to land, where, where I'm going to argue. Okay. And I think that that's where we'll differentiate is I don't think there is a metaphysical accounting book, yes. but there is a practical utility to dreaming up such an idea. Okay. If that's true, then how do you address the accruing sins in the final judgment? Like, do you agree uh, with how some theologians posit that? Or do you think, oh, that's absurd. You're in the cosmic accounting book there. Like, what's your thought? Um, I, I really don't have very clear views okay. on uh, hell. I think that... He thinks about death all the time, but not <laughs> hell. Like, come on. Like, right. Uh, I think that... I, I, my intuition is to line up mostly with C.S. Lewis in The Great Divorce and to say yeah. something like, I, 
the problem is a willful uh, removal of oneself from the presence of God. Within the presence of God, there is goodness. As you remove yourself, that goodness decreases and your own brokenness begins to cause you suffering. And out of a fear and a pride that that internal brokenness is going to be exposed and that you'll have to internally come to account of it, uh, one will continue to push farther and farther away. Mm -hmm. I think that there is an option to like, move camps, move in a positive direction. Yeah, I think that that's very probable. That being said, I, there is an internal logic to sin and what would lead somebody to finally hide themselves from God. I, and I think that there's a, a potency to this life and our ability to change courses that may or may not exist in the next. Do you, so would you say just at first blush of my presentation of the accruing sins in hell, does that sound, what does that sound to you? Like ridiculous? Does it sound, I mean, I, I know I made it somewhat of a caricature, but I, you, I really use the same language basically they, they use. So like, I mean, what's your take? Like you, that's a deeper view of hell, what you just described. But like what I'm saying, where it really just seemed like you're adding up sins, got to push them back. Oh, you added up some more, push them back. Like what's your yeah. initial take is like, that could be on target or not. I think that the ridiculousness there yeah. is that God is actively punishing them. That God's standing up there and is watching and is saying like, oh, I'm going to have to put you in a hotter fire now. Like, <laughs> like that's, that's the ridiculous part. Yeah. I, but the idea that they are actively paying for something that is still a heart issue. I think that that's really the issue is that in their heart, they are still fleeing from God and not believing in the goodness of God. But isn't that focusing on restoration instead of retribution? What do you mean? He said focusing on their heart, that their heart isn't in the right place. So yeah. is it any point of their suffering for them to be restored rather than they simply have to suffer for their sins? So again, I and I think that this is going to be a central point, is that I think that justice needs to be headed towards something. Yes. And that justice as a concept can't be simply this like moving back to neutral it's yes. something better than that uh but i think that that requires retribution to some degree all right well that was five minutes we can just leave it all right perfect so forth okay so you talked about this setting a right yes what does that concept mean to you um it means the components that i described so okay. it's the um evil ceasing is divine or like public vindication um, and then I think practically speaking, we're going to be bothered if there is no example set, no deterrence, whatever, because we have to keep on living life and this person isn't changed. So yeah, I would say it's all those combined. Okay. That sounds like it's attempting to move back to neutral. Would you say that that is an appropriate account of what you're talking about? Yeah, I think at base, when I'm thinking in terms of justice and setting things right, it's merely, uh, yeah, just uh, getting back to neutral, you could say. Okay. I imagine this sort of situation. So there's somebody who does something wrong. Uh, you sort of play the tape forward. They, their evilness is exposed. They learn a lesson, et cetera, et cetera, right? Uh, what if God was able to snap his fingers 
We turn back the clock. All the consequences of that evil get reset. So we're back to neutral. But we then keep the way that that affected people in their heart. So that evil person has still learned a lesson, even if they do not consciously know how they learned the lesson, it's still in there now intuitively. The people yes. who saw that example have that impression still on them. Okay. Would you say that that would be a good thing or a bad thing? Um, I think that's a very hard situation to judge because you're kind of, so wait, you're kind of like rewinding time sort of, or just like everyone gets back what they had lost or something. Everyone gets back what they had lost, including, and I think that in order to like remove the emotional damage, you have to also remove some of the memory. Uh, and so that's why it's sort of easiest to think about it as jumping backwards in time or keeping some of that, those effects, but um, I, 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 I'm tempted to say yes and no that that satisfies it because it, it might sort of technically, but it's also sort of envisioning such sort of an absurd reality uh, if that is taking place. It's hard to even have intuition about how that works or feels. I, I just feel like we're stepping... Um, I see what you're getting at, but we are stepping out into a little bit of a bizarre world um, that's hard to judge. Um, but I could see saying that that satisfies it. Okay. Um, I, I think. Okay. You think that I could potentially, hard? yeah. Okay. So then I guess my question for you would be if, you know, presuming obviously that God wants the good things to happen and to minimize bad consequences, yeah. Why would God not do that all the time? So this is definitely a key point, and it has to do with, um, I would say, probably comes down to free will. And um, this is something you touched on, and I think we probably are in full agreement. Um, this is a very Greg Boydian take. Uh, but I, I think free will, when God gives, us to, give, gives it to us, is to some degree irrevocable and if he constantly stepped in to stop us from doing something evil, then uh, we don't have free will at that point. So I think that starts to potentially violate free will uh, where... So yes. to take it a level deeper, if, well, I guess, why is free will good in the bad instances? Why is that something that we should still protect? Because the only way to get free, get rid of the bad instances is to get rid of free will, and then God is just hanging out with robots. Okay. <laughs> okay, and, and why, why is that bad? Um, I'm tempted to say you have to ask God, but, uh, I mean, it's, it, it's because uh, presumably God wanted people to have relationships with, to make other entities like him that have free will and can experience love, um, and live life like that. And so you can't do it, do that with a robot. Okay. Uh, I guess last question, Sherry, you mentioned something about an unhealthy anger and an unhealthy vengeance. Yeah. Do you think that there's such a thing as healthy forms of those things? What was the first one? Vengeance and what? And anger. Anger. Um, anger definitely at evil, for sure. Um, it gets complicated when you're talking about that evil embodied in a person who is not pure evil themselves. But yes, anger, I mean, I definitely believe Jesus was angry at um, uh, Lazarus's death, you know, the evil there and stuff like that. Um, so vengeance, 
Um, it's interesting, actually, when I looked up the definition of retribution, it actually said vengeance in one of the definitions. It says like uh, vengeance taken to repay or something like that. Um, so um, I think plausibly in the kind of the what I'm giving the account of now, plausibly, whatever sensations we feel about justice, uh, none of them could be called vengeance except the negative version. So I would probably okay. say vengeance, once you get rid of, once you set aside the good stuff we feel, what's left is vengeance and it's bad. All right. Cool. Okay. Awesome. Master time. I uh, Give me one moment to just kind of collect thoughts from that speech. I'll get to one moment. <laughs> you guys enjoying this so far? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We have Conan O'Brien coming out later. Uh, All right. So unfortunately, I think that Robert and I kind of have some different views on what exactly we need to be talking about here. So I'm going to, uh, as best as possible, bring our thoughts together in a way that you know, they can really interact well. Uh, I'd like to start with something that was really illuminating to me when I was thinking about justice in sort of a biblical context. Uh, I was reading through Exodus, and there's this great part in Exodus 22, and obviously the Exodus and the law are full of these things, but it was just the one that was very salient to me at the time. I talked about a man who leaves a hole uncovered, another man's ox falls into the hole, and then that ox dies. What do you do? Because the man who left the hole presumably wasn't doing it maliciously, uh, but the ox is dead. How do you try to deal with this in a way that lets both parties feel like that they haven't been taken advantage of. And the answer is, at least with an exodus, the answer is that you have the man who left the hole open uh, pay for the animal, buy the animal, at the price that it would have been if the animal was alive, and that man gets to then receive the dead animal. So he gets to do with the dead animal whatever he wants to do with it. Uh, so I think that when we're talking about justice, there, and this is why I wanted to break it up into those two categories, you have justice as it comes to protection, and then you have justice as it comes to mediation. And I think that some of the issues here come from a confusion of those two things. Uh, Could you define mediation for me? I just wanna make sure. Yeah, yeah, so I think mediation, that's a perfect example of mediation. You have a problem. Sometimes there, are, it, it was sort of the laptop example, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes it's malicious, sometimes it's accidental, but fundamentally a wrong has been done. There is something that has happened where at least one of those parties is now at a loss and you need to find a way to deal with this in a way that then brings the community back together. Uh, and it has to bring the wrongdoer, sometimes that's malicious and sometimes that's accidental, back into the community while also making the person who was wronged not feel as though you know, they were given the short end of the stick and are now just angry at this other person all the time. Uh, and so the example of the free laptop, right? Like 
at the end of the day, if you then got this free laptop and it cost me nothing, even though I tried to hurt you, I think that there would still be anger that you would have towards me. And I think that there's a fairness and a justice to that. Uh, and I guess that's, that's really where I want to round my case. But let me do a little bit of point for point talking through what you talked about. Uh, and then we can move forward from that. So Robert's main point was this idea of the cosmic accounting book. He said that there's a ridiculousness to the notion that justice is about just rebalancing the numbers. And I think that he's right in being skeptical of the idea that there is such an accounting book and that there's a calculus that can be done in a simple way. Uh, that being said, I think that there is not a calculus in a discrete way, but there's an emotional calculus that can be done. And that is sort of what I'm talking about with the the idea of the man who leaves the hole open, right? Where if uh, nothing were to be done, you know, all is just forgiven, uh, I think that the man whose ox was killed is going to be angry. Uh, if, however, the man who left the hole open has to give the guy, you know, two, three, four ox to make up for it, uh, there's a sense that he's now going to be angry because he's going to feel taken advantage of. So I agree that there isn't this strict linear calculus, but I think there's an internal sense that certain punishments do fit certain crimes. And that there is a certain amount of payment that needs to be done before a sense of being hurt, violated, taken advantage of, uh, can really be offloaded. And that is more what I want to get to. Uh, so that's about relationship restoration. And that's the point, the direction that I think justice should head towards. Throughout your speech, you seem to talk about justice a lot. And this is why I asked about this in cross-examination as simply a getting back to neutral, uh, that justice is the, sorts of, is the sort of thing where a wrong happens and then we do things that then bring us back to the starting point. And I think that that actually embeds a lot more of this idea of the cosmic accounting book into it than my view does, because that view says that there is this starting point, there's this very linear digression, and then there's this very linear progression, and you can just get right back. It's very numeric, uh, even if it isn't in a cost and minus way that Robert is accusing the retributionists of, of holding. I think that my view is a lot more nuanced in that it talks about the human story that you can't just reset things. And this is basically what we got into when I was asking about you know, God snapping his fingers and resetting things. You ultimately believe the same thing, that it would be a violation, a violation of agency to reset things. You also said in cross-examination that if we were to be able to just magic away consequences, uh, that you wouldn't be respecting free will. And so, I'd like to then bring this back to, to the point that I was making about the purpose of retribution, the underlying purpose of retribution is a respect for agency. That if wrong is done, then there is consequence to that. And if that consequence is just taken away, then you have violated that agency. Uh, to ground this a little bit more, uh, and I know that this is a little bit of a strange example, but I'm trying to think on my feet as best as possible. Uh, if 
you know, somebody were to point a gun at Robert's head, right? And then they were to pull the trigger and God were to just make that bullet freeze in the air and it doesn't hurt him at all. Then that action of pulling the trigger, while it does say something about that person's heart, it doesn't have any meaningful impact. And there's no reason for people to care about that action. If it's just a one-time miracle, it's kind of cool and it doesn't change too much. But if that's the way that the world is run, where every time I do something dumb, the consequences are just sort of wiped away, then you no longer, I would no longer really care about my actions. I would have no reason to want to try to mature, to learn discernment, to try to become a better person. Uh, and so that then leaves us with a world in which when wrong happens, necessarily, there has to be some sort of payment. There has to be an experience of that badness. There has to be a uh, taking on of that consequence. And that is what I mean when I say that retribution is necessary on the path of restoration. In order for there to be restoration, somebody has to take that on. Uh, and in the case of the atonement, that's Christ. Uh, and in the case of mediation, I think that's often going to be the person who did the wrong thing. Uh, they should, to the degree that it's possible, take on the larger amount of that. Uh, though that's where the discernment and the complexity of trying to apply this in a legal context starts to come. So coming back to this cosmic accounting book idea, I too disagree with it in a metaphysical way, but I, I think that both Robert and I's presuppositions about agency necessarily do say that wrong leads to bad things, right leads to good things. And so those things have to come about and the only way for them to come about meaningfully is for them to be experienced by somebody. Uh, from this, Robert talked about his definition of what he thinks would be necessary for justice to be done. That the evil has to stop, that the evil must be called evil, and that the evildoer, uh, he thinks that there, there's a certain sense in which he needs to be made an example of, there has to be deterrence, there has to be something like that. And, uh, and that that's part of this impulse. And I think that that is true to a certain degree, at least that the evil has to stop for justice to happen. That's true. Uh, that the evil has to be called evil. I also agree with that. I think that that's in large part what the retribution accomplishes. But then this, this final point, I think, I, I, I guess I think that I don't think that this is a sufficient explanation of what justice is. And to explain this, I want to move on to the other line of justice that I talked about in my opening speech, that of protective justice. Uh, to go to the example that I, I got to make a humorous gaffe about, when my sister was being bullied, I, I had that internal impulse to want to beat up those guys who are making fun of her. And I think that in Robert's view, that is necessarily a bad thing, that's the unhealthy vengeance. And he seemed to draw this out, but the distinction that I would like to make here is that there is a distinction between a desire to cause, to do punishment out of a love for the victim versus a hatred of the perpetrator. And that is the key distinction here. I, and I think that there is an internal sense of that. I, 
I, unfortunately, I don't have a great example of this off the top of my head, but if you're watching an action movie, like when the bad guy dies at the end, you feel good about that. If that ending were to be dragged out for 45 minutes where, you know, James Bond just like tortures the evil guy <laughs> in, in increasingly brutal ways, eventually you just like be sick of it. Uh, because we have an internal sense that like there is a distinction between making things right and sadism uh, and moving out of revenge and hatred of the person. You're right. That is insatiable. You can't make a thing right by harming somebody. That being said, when you love somebody and another party is treating them as worthless, as somebody who can just be used, uh, stepping in and declaring that that is not true, that this person is loved, is worthy of protection, that those actions were wrong and will not be acceptable is something that makes this first person feel loved. I think that that's really important. Uh, to sort of put it trivially, I think that the Israelites leaving the Red Sea after it closes on the Egyptians kind of feel like the prom queen of the world. Like God <laughs> is stepping in and saying, you are so meaningful to me that I am willing to protect you in these rather dramatic ways. Uh, and I think that that's crucial for rectifying the Israelite sense of identity. Uh, and, and it comes out of love. Again, it's not the angel of death systematically going through every Egyptian house and torturing every person. Uh, it is specific. It is directed. And it is to say that treating these people and to not fear God is inappropriate. Uh, and, I, and I guess I think that that is where Robert and I at the core disagree as I'm viewing justice as this, I guess, a narrative, uh, something wrong has happened and that damages people and in sort of a metaphorical way, the structure of reality in a way that can't just be brought back. And so in order to rectify that, there's a series of actions that need to be taken. And I think that those necessarily to some degree include the suffering of the evildoer. And that's to say that these sorts of actions, these wrong actions are inappropriate. And it's to say that, uh, when we act carelessly or maliciously, there are real consequences and that that's important. Uh, and so I guess I think that Robert is looking at the world uh, through slightly rose-colored glasses and is hoping that there is a way to move the story in a positive direction uh, without any suffering. And I think that because of the wrong that we've done, that's not how it works. Uh, and so necessarily then retribution comes into play. And uh, that's, that's going to be my rebuttal.
So just uh, remind everyone where we are in the debate. This is uh, my rebuttal. He just gave his. After this, we're going to do um, like 20-ish minutes of Q&A and also hearing from you guys what you think on this topic. Uh, obviously, you each need 15 minutes of prepared statements um, and you won't be judged but, um, with retribution. Um, but uh, um, yeah, so that's where we're at. And then we're going to give quick closing statements. But anyway, uh, yeah, to, to get going here. Um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting because I, it sounds like you don't agree with the kind of metaphysical cosmic accounting book. Um, and uh, I applaud that uh, because that, that is my main target. And I, once again, I, I would say that like that is a very common way of looking at things. Um, even uh, almost explicitly with like the terminology of accruing certain amounts to be paid, you know, that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, I'm going to, I, I took notes on your rebuttal. I think I'm going to start by talking about what you talked then. I might jump back to your first speech. But, um, oh, another thing, you're talking about the complexity of this. Um, I, when I lived in Boston, I met this girl who actually, she became a Christian, she was an atheist, she became a Christian, studying philosophy at Harvard, which is not something you'd normally expect. Uh, so she actually had a, um, a whole article in Christianity Today about her. Uh, and her father is a philosophy professor, an atheist, I think. Um, he's an atheist, I think he's a philosophy professor. And they were writing a book together, she said. And um, somehow they started talking about like just desserts, like in the idea of deserving. And they said they just like had to stop there and like, what does it mean to deserve something? Like you can get stuck for weeks on that word deserve. Like what, what do we mean? What do you feel when you deserve? Something? Like these things are very tough to, to parse through. Um, so it's okay that you struggle. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, we said we would have some digs on each other. Okay. Um, give me this. Oh boy. Okay. Um, so, uh, <laughs> um, uh, so he ended kind of saying that I I look at things uh, with rose-colored glasses about how we can um, uh, meet out judgment without causing any suffering. What I liked about that is I would say. Um, I explicitly disagree with that statement that we can uh, hand out judgment without suffering in this world with the parameters that we have. Like the only way, um, did I bump the camera? I just want to make sure, is it still, okay, I think it's still good. <laughs> At first it looked like it was like tilted way over. But um, uh, so um, one thing, and I think this will help to, to know where I'm coming from. I've very much bought in into this, uh, Greg Boyd view, he's a, a Christian philosopher, of that when God wants consequences to happen, all that God has to do is withdraw, and there's plenty of evil agents to go around to collapse and, and attack. And that's precisely what happened on the cross. God did not have to come down the Father in person and kill Jesus. All he did was withdraw protection, and Romans were there to kill him, uh, the Jewish leadership, the uh, powers behind them. There's plenty of evil to go around, and God just withdraws. So I think with the rules of the game that we have here on Earth and with free agents that are fallen, I think that to, to keep the engine going, retribution might, for all intents and purposes, be necessary. Um, but I just think when you're talking about that, 
you're getting more into practical application rather than kind of cosmically what is needed for justice. Because I think what happens is, um, I think the, the steps in reasoning where people go wrong is there's a sense that here on earth, day to day, we need retribution. Um, and mainly, ultimately, for the reasons I think of like setting an example, deterrence, so mainly for uh, practical applications, but also for not, that's probably wrong to say mainly for practical applications. It's also for the other principles of uh, well, cease making sure the evil ceases and uh, a vindication, a public vindication. So we use retribution as a great tool for that. Um, so, but I think the, the steps in reasoning where it goes wrong is they start with, okay, it's a tool that must be just a core component of justice. Therefore, this exchange is happening on the cross and in hell, and all of a sudden you're in cosmic accounting book. So I'm just not sure we need to make that move where it goes literally inside of what justice is. I think it's such a, another way to look at it is there is a lot of natural, God has set things up to where a lot of things naturally rebalance themselves. So if you're lazy, you're generally going to have consequences for that without any um, external agent doing something. You, someone has to prevent consequences. And I think that's what God is normally doing all, uh, plenty of the time. So um, uh, when he protects us. So I think retribution is a human tool to rebalance things. That we, we try to rebalance things when we see it. When there's a hole and the ox falls in, we want to rebalance that. And so we use the tools that we have. But I don't think that means, okay, kind of metaphysically, this is justice. This person losing their ox because this person got it. I think all of a sudden you've elevated it to a point that uh, it doesn't belong um, is kind of how I would say it. So um, let me see what else I got here. Yeah. So like when you're saying that there's this imbalance of when there's a wrongdoing, the, the laptop or the ox, um, I agree with that. I just think once you take apart the components of it, that imbalance is not, if I'm checking things off to feel justice has happened, that that person, did that person suffer? And I think it's tempting to say, yeah, that's part of it. But I think really the reason you want them to suffer is for the vindication, is for uh, the deterrence, the example, um, and part of that negative side of vengeance. So, um, Yeah, I'm trying to, because I wanted to talk about when you're saying, like when you said your sister was made fun of, um, and that sense that you, that vengeance, sense of vengeance, um, I I don't think that's a bad sense. I think I would not put the word vengeance on it. I would put the word merely justice, and vengeance would be the part of you within that that simply enjoys seeing them suffer kind of, um, in a kind of bald-faced way, um, which, for whatever reason, we, uh, as humans, seem to move into that very quickly with eye-for-eye eye sort of thinking. So you're, so much of what you sense when you see your sister being made fun of um, is, is right to sense that, that righteous anger. But I think, I don't think the bare fact of this person, the wrongdoer suffering, is what fixes that. 
feeling. I think that can be separated out and that can be a tool to affect the other parts of justice that I've talked about. Um, so I'm trying to figure out what to concentrate on here. Do you mind if I ask you something? Yeah, go ahead. So I think that I, it doesn't sound, I don't think that that makes sense. Okay. If the feeling of wanting to, you know, act in that way, in that violent way, is a good thing, then to say that that's a part of, that that is a feeling of justice. Yeah. But then that ever acting out any of those feelings is somehow wrong. I think that that doesn't quite make sense. Because you're saying that the impulse is good, but that, and that the impulse is justice, mm -hmm. but that what the impulse is actually towards isn't a necessary part of justice. I don't think that's true. No, I, I think a lot of what you want to act out is still just, but if you pick apart that one element of simply, I want to see them suffering, then you're really left with just vengeance at that point. So like, oh, I want to see them go to jail for what they did. Like you're wanting vindication. You're wanting uh, that example, you want the evil to cease. Like, so the part of us, it literally is, oh, I'm gonna enjoy sitting, seeing them sit there in their cell and rotting. Like that quickly becomes, uh, when it's separated from all the rest, then that's just vengeance at that point. So, um, and I think part of the, the reason to think that is if you say, no, that's a core part of justice, is just that suffering, then I think, I guess what I would challenge you is like, how does that logically not end up being the cosmic uh, if, if you really include that into the core of justice, how does this not end up being balancing the books? Um, uh, yeah, and like, I mean, a lot of what you talked about is like moving forward, um, which is great, but you're starting to put the focus on a more practical view of how justice works. And retribution might be a great tool for that, but you're not, at that point, you're talking about how to keep the world moving rather than how to restore justice in a kind of cosmic sense. Because, um, yeah, just an abstract versus practical. Um, let's see if there's anything left I wanted to touch on. Yeah, I'd just be curious to, um, I guess I'm not totally convinced how when you move retribution fully within the core idea of what justice is, how you don't end up with the cosmic accounting book um, and how, and I also would want to ask you like your view of the cross, if God got payment in a sense, how is that forgiveness? So I'll leave it there. All right, guys. All right. We're on to 20 minutes or so of audience Q&A session. Slash counter-arguments. So, uh, yeah, who wants right. to speak up first? What you got? Who's got something? It might be easy to just, like, start with some questions for us. Like, yeah. anything, anything you want to, like, get clarification on? Or? A question for Robert. Um, you made a distinction between uh, retribution as like maybe a practical thing that's like good for bringing about justice, 
but not something that is a part of justice itself. And that was like the distinction that you mm -hmm. were making between what he, what you agreed with him that he was. What's the difference? Like if justice yeah. is a practical, or if retribution is like a practical tool in bringing about justice, how is it not like a part of justice? Like can you set, sure. separate those? Sure, yeah. No, I think it's because our worldview and how we conceptualize some of these things um, have consequences. Uh, so even though it might seem subtle at first, but like I, I think one of the consequences is you end up with the cosmic accounting book of that Hitler needs to be in the torture chamber for a thousand years before we can let him out. And how, you know, how does that math add up and stuff like that? Uh, I think it also can give a rationalization for vengeance because you you can think you're probably not explicitly thinking these words but if you think that suffering that retribution is is absolutely core then it's like this person hasn't suffered so the the cosmos will be more right if i cause them to suffer some um because that might be literally true on the retributive theory uh somehow the cosmos is more put together you know uh if you do that so uh, it's the same way as like if you in your paradigm, your worldview, you think that some uh, injustice has personally happened to you, that, that just changes how you live your life. Like any of these things, like they might seem subtle how you view it, but um, how it has reverberating consequences. Do you mind if I speak on that slightly? Yeah. So I've been I've been trying to figure out exactly where we disagree because it seems like we agree on a lot of things. Yeah. But then at some point we just you know go separate ways. I uh, I think that part of that has to do with us being in these mindsets of you know sort of presuming what the other person is trying to say. Mm -hmm. I but I think that another part of it is like we both agree fundamentally that there is a consequence to action. Uh, and I think that where we start to diverge is that you think that that is merely practical. And I think that that is actually an abstract truth that mm -hmm. is good, that God creating the world such that there are bad consequences to bad action, that that is a good thing. And that that's a part of justice, that that's a part of God designing the world to function in a just way. Uh, and so what that then leads us towards is that I think that what you're pushing back against is this like judge sitting up on a, you know, big mm -hmm. stool and like <laughs> dishing down judgment yeah. all the time. Uh, that punishment is an active thing. Yeah. And where I'm coming from isn't so much that like in order for things to be made right, somebody has to hurt this person. I, uh, I think that because of certain contextual pieces, sometimes that's going to be the case, but that in an abstract way, it's not that like punishment as this, you know, agent, this wasn't going to happen already. An agent goes like smack, now yeah. you're in pain. Uh, I think that the idea is, is just simply that when you do a bad thing, bad things happen. When you do a good thing, good things happen. And that I hold that to be a I hold that to be good. Yeah. And abstractly true and moral. Uh, and so consequently, justice as a as a movement towards making things right 
needs to bring in the things that are abstractly true and moral. Mm -hmm. And consequently, you have to reckon with that. And oftentimes that's going to be embedded into the world. Uh, and, and we agree on that, but I don't think that it's merely a practical matter. You seem to say that it is a practical matter. And that's why I was trying to push you with those sort yeah. of like, imagine we could reverse time and make it so that it, make it so the world was different. Right. I'll, um, I might address some of that in my kind of closing statement, but I think maybe one distinction is, um, uh, I'm going to lose it now, but uh, it's a practical, I don't think, I, I think it's a practical matter to then affect some abstract cosmic things, which is like this public vindication um so it's a, it's a practical tool to get these bigger, grander ideas, but none of those bigger, grander ideas is that that person needs to suffer. So um, the, the suffering is a tool for, not just a tool for practical things, but a tool for some of the deep cosmic sense of justice that we feel. But yeah, all right. So listening to you, it sounds a lot, one of my favorite internet videos is this kid screaming at a camera, when will you realize your actions have consequences? <laughs> that seems like that's a lot of what you're saying. Like, like bad things have naturally bad consequences. Like, that's the way that the world is set up. Mm -hmm. But it seems like a lot of times when we refer to justice, it's not just, like, justice happens. Justice isn't something that is just happening. It's something that we have to do or something we have to be just somehow. So I'm trying to figure out what's the distinguishing factor between saying, like, um... You know, like the the people taking on your sister, they're mm -hmm. they do something bad to her, and that, like as a result, they become worse people. They feel bad about that later in their life. It leads to worse things, and eventually, somehow, the world comes back around and slaps them in the face because they never really learned how to like treat other human beings. And those seem like natural consequences. Yeah. Versus when I think of retribution, at least, it means you coming up to them and maybe punching them in the face or something. Um, so. Help me parse apart, like, how do we do justice if they're already in the consequences? Yeah, so I, I think that the the thing that I'm trying to get at is minimizing the consequences and directing the consequences. Okay. So I think that you're right, uh, that there are just the inbuilt consequences and, and that I've been talking about that a lot. Uh, they make fun of her, that then decreases her trust of them, you know, fast forward years down the road. Uh, if they continue to act in that way, they're going to have a bunch of fractured relationships and that's going to cause a lot of suffering for them. Uh, but then likewise, on the other side, you have a bunch of other people who have all these fractured relationships and who have been hurt by them over and over and over again. They then go and hurt other people because unfortunately that's often the way that humans work. Uh, and so I think that that is when justice is something that we are specifically stepping in and doing, what we're doing is we are uh, attempting to minimize the consequences and like maximize the consequences that would be a good thing to happen. Uh, so their actions, it is, it is in some meaningful way, not right, unjust for their actions and for their foolishness to affect you know, countless people for generations. Uh, and if we can try to stop that by, you know, rectifying 
in, in this very you know simplistic example, like my sister's sense of identity by stepping in as the big brother and punching that kid, right? Uh, and, and therefore, like she's no longer hurt and she's not then gonna go on and hurt somebody else. Uh, and the hurt somehow stops there as best as possible. I think that that's murky. And I think that your question actually gets exactly where I need to develop my ideas further. <laughs> uh, but I hope that that's like a start to answering that question. Uh, do you want to push back on that more? Um, I guess my initial struggle would just be why do we think like your sister being hurt that the proper way to fix that is then by hurting somebody else. Like we need to get, we need to like the way to rectify our sense of identity is not to like love or encourage or support. I mean, I'm not saying that you don't believe in those things, but that like a, a part of rebuilding our sense of identity, like you said, is by yeah, like bringing harm to somebody else. And and that's the distinction that I was trying to make in the first speech. Uh, and I don't think that I've done a great job at continuing to flush that sure. out. Uh, but basically that justice is not retribution, but retribution is a necessary part of justice. Right. So if that's all I did, like, yeah, you're right. That wouldn't do much. <laughs> uh, and to then, you know, use the example that we're talking about with the Israelites, like if God were to bring them out of Egypt, you know, drown the Pharaoh and then just like disappear, like that also doesn't <laughs> do much. Uh, but that first step is important to put an end to that harm and to protect. I, I think that, and this is where I think that it comes back to just a guttural thing really is that when you love somebody and you see them being hurt, there is a natural impulse to protect them, even if that's violent and somehow that's not bad. And I think that that's not bad, at least in part, because you see that that's at least sometimes what God does. I, that being said, obviously there's a lot more that has to be done. And, and that's, I think, where we sort of uh, don't hear each other super well is I think that you're saying that my view of justice is very limited to retribution. And I'm merely, I think that justice is so much larger than retribution, uh, trying to make things good again. I don't think it's limited. I, don't think it's limited. I just that's think good. there is a consequence to having retribution a absolute essential part of what we think justice is. Even if it's a small part, I guess. Abby. So, um, a scenario that is common, um, I'll explain in then I, I want to hear how both of you would fit that into your theory of justice. Um, so, let's say, kind of trivial, I guess, someone like, like two people who are friends are arguing, like me and my roommate are arguing. And my roommate says something really mean, personally, like mean to me, and it's hurtful. And then, like later, when we're both calm down, I tell her that that was hurtful, and she apologizes, and it's really heartfelt, and um, like she feels really bad about it, and I forgive her. It it doesn't seem like like obviously. It would be just for me to say some really personally mean thing back. Um, but she was not punished in any other way. Um, so it doesn't seem like 
retribution was necessary to bring that reconciliation, like to bring the world back into its proper order or whatever. So is that why you're saying that retribution doesn't have to be a necessary part of justice? Would you say that the that like act of confession was some sort of uh, retribution? Mm -hmm. So explain. Uh, I'll go first. That's okay, right. yeah, go ahead. Um, yeah, no, I think that's a good example of that if, to, in my opinion, if you have retribution as truly essential to justice, then something is still out of order with the world at that point. And I just want to ask why, who, who is making us make your roommate suffer so that things get back to order or something like, like retribution hasn't happened. And yet, and this is where it gets and where we agree, there's built in suffering there. Your, your friend will uh, experience some sort of suffering of recognizing that evil was done, that the vindication. So there, I, that was the point I wanted to make that a lot of the recognizing, recognizing the vindication, you're not going to get through that without scars and realizing, oh, I hurt my friend and all this stuff. But the retribution is, to me, is not core in that instance. Uh, so I would say that I think that that's a perfect example. And I think that justice is moving towards the restoration of that relationship. And I think that a retribute or that rest restoring that relationship requires, like you were talking about, that she feels penitent about it. I, uh, if, you know, she made some, you know, an attempt at a personal dig, then like went, consulted her journal, realized, I guess, statistically, that's not true about you. And then came back and said, you know, after reevaluating the evidence, you're not, a, you're not an idiot. I, I apologize. <laughs> like, Congrats. Yeah. Yeah. Like that this was merely a factual scientific thing that that would miss something. I, and that she feels the weight of the fact that she has ruptured this relationship and has hurt you in some way, that that's integral to the process of bringing about restoration. Uh, that's that's mostly what I'm focused on. Just an observation, uh, Robert. When you talk about um, retribution, you often use the word suffering mm -hmm. synonymously, and this example might seem to point out that uh, retribution is more than just like someone like you know physically hurting or like suffering in some way, and could also include some sort of like. Sorrow or like, like uh, conviction that leads to confession. Yeah. That's and to piggyback off of that just a little bit, when I was talking about the atonement at the beginning, uh, one point that I was trying to make but was running out of time and so condensed it to the point where I, I don't think it was really made at all, uh, <laughs> is that there is that that I think part of how forgiveness that Christ's forgiveness still allows our decisions to have meaning is in the fact that like we know that Christ suffered for our bad decisions. And so because we love him, I, and because we can see how we're fracturing our relationship with, you know, with Jesus, with our father, I, that, that, that then gives weight to those decisions again, in a way that just sort of snapping away consequences, I wouldn't be able to, 
without ever verging into this just like physical suffering, mm -hmm. smacking you around sort of thing. It definitely doesn't have to be physical because I, I would say using suffering in broadest terms, so not just physical, if there literally was no suffering, then I do feel like retribution didn't happen. Um, you think justice would have happened? That's a separate question. I'm just trying to address she was bringing yeah. up if uh, like that I equate retribution and suffering. And broadly speaking, yeah, like I think if literally no one felt any sort of pain, emotional, physical, did retribution even happen? You know, like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think you both brought up eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, but never actually like discussed what you thought about that in your terms of justice. So I'd like to know. It's a good one. <laughs> uh, you want to do it first? Sure, sure. Okay. Um, so I actually put that in my notes. I was going to put it in my closing, but you're saving me time. Uh, so um, first of all, Jesus uh, repudiates eye for an eye, uh, which brings up textual problems or, or uh, theological problems of Jesus's view of the Old Testament and stuff like that. But uh, I think that's significant that eye for an eye, and obviously I think we can all agree, eye for eye is sort of natural to us and you end up with blood feuds and all that good stuff. So um, <laughs> that's why it's powerful when Jesus repudiates it. And I think um and, and so much of this, I know my position can sound like it's splitting hairs, but I still would hold that when you think suffering, in a sense, by itself, is a component of justice. It's not equal to justice, but it's a component of it. But it's not a means to an end. It's actually part of the end. That's a good way to say it, is what I'm... Uh, when, when you actually internalize that and think that's true, then I think that's basically making eye for an eye part of the fabric of the cosmos. Uh, and I think Jesus repudiates that. Uh, so, unfortunately, I, I, I recall hearing an awesome textual analysis of that that I don't remember uh, how it works. <laughs> so uh, one you might so, so what I've heard also, is that it's like limiting what people did. Right. Is that right? right. Yeah. So so I heard something that was a lot more than that. And uh, hopefully hopefully there's somebody else here who afterwards would know a bit more about that and we can talk about it. That being said, at the very least, I I think that the abstract principle there has to do with making the punishment fit the crime. Uh, it's at least that. It's at least saying that when somebody wrongs you, you don't have free license. Uh, and yeah, I mean, that's that's sort of how I would work work that in is to say that I uh, basically it is a part of splitting the difference between the uh, retribution and vengeance. I. Uh, at what point are you allowing bad things to happen because it's a part of bringing about restoration? And at what point are you just, you know, harming somebody? And the fact that there's a limiting principle there is good. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, I don't have a question because I know we're kind of out of time. But um, short and sweet, how do you guys both feel about um, retribution in terms of the need? Or, like, is it? always necessary if it's already been done in the past. And a, a good example is uh, uh, someone's able to 
come to terms of like what they've done wrong because they've been uh, uh, punished in the past for that, and, and you regain that perspective whenever that uh, conflict is is brought to them. Um, is retribution necessary for that intuition, for that perspective to be done on someone? Can you so sum it up? Like, for example, um, calling someone names. Yeah. If, if I was a kid and I called someone a bunch of names and no one ever told me that was a wrong thing to ever do, mm -hmm. and then 20 years later, I'm calling my roommate names and they bring it up to me and say it's an issue or whatnot, and then I never come around and say, you know what, I was kind of being an asshole. Mm -hmm. Excuse my language, everyone. <laughs> um, is, is the retribution necessary for the intuition of, of thinking and gaining that perspective of, like, I was very rude in calling someone that because of that they would have, they would have received that uh, a punishment or that feedback or, or whatever you want to call it, the retribution when they were a child versus later on the road. Is that retribution needed for even future consequence where, where you wouldn't, would, do you need that consequence in the past so that the consequence in the future isn't necessary? Um, so tell me if this is a sufficient uh, summary of your question. Okay. I, I was kind of all over the place. That, that in order, f that your question is, in order for evil to not happen in the future, is there a like a point at which retribution has to be inserted in order for that person to learn a lesson and then like not act in the same way in the future? Yeah. Okay. Um, whether it's in their life or they're observing it in someone else's life. Yeah. I guess I would say, honestly, probably not. Uh, not always. I think that that's a part of, uh, like, the Holy Spirit working in somebody's heart. I think that there's plenty of instances where people begin to just be more Christ-like without even realizing, like, what's going on. Uh, so I think that it's not necessary in that sort of strict way. Um, that being said... And I think that this is the the direction when you called all those people as you know a kid like bad names, right? Like that hurt them in a way that there is now brokenness that exists out in the world. And somebody has to do and I'm gonna try to use a word different from suffering, but I think that might be equally as confusing. Somebody has to do work in order to try to fix that brokenness. Uh, that's required. And that is a, a sort of payment. And I think that that's where we start to feel like we're getting into this accounting book mm -hmm. is that you have to do something and maybe not even you, maybe it's somebody else who's in relationship with them. Somebody has to do something to stop that brokenness from just perpetuating. Mm -hmm. uh, there has to be a, an action of repair. Uh, and yeah, that's, yeah, that's sort of the thought there. So I do think you said retribution is not strictly necessary. Not strictly that. necessary for the person to change, which is distinct. So justice is unrendered at that point if retribution didn't happen. Um, so I think that that's where you get into like, and 
I hope that I'm not just shoehorning concepts in at this point, mm -hmm. but you get to like uh, judgment day, right? Yeah. Where the wrong that you did that Christ may have fixed in your heart without you even realizing, like is exposed, you get to face that for what it is, but still know that he paid for it. Uh, and so I think that there's still justice in that sense. Uh, I guess that's, that's what I sure. would say there. Uh, in some ways, I feel like your question was more towards his view. I don't know if I have. Um, I, I figured yeah. it, it fits more naturally. Back it up or not is, yeah, is, I mean, I think it fits more naturally with my view of the idea that, like, if the other boxes were checked, we don't need to add in that person's suffering to, to get there, I guess. But um, any other quick thoughts from you guys? Sweet. Well, when this is all over and done, we'll have plenty of time to chat some more um, anyway, though we'll probably be playing piano and catchphrase. But anyway, um, <laughs> do you um, move on to the closing? Yeah, sounds good. Uh, yeah. So, okay, Brian, so take it first. So I think that uh, the biggest spot that we didn't do very good at in this discussion <laughs> is that I don't think that we use terms in the same way. I. Uh, and unfortunately, I don't think that just defining them at the front would have helped too much with that because it's not a strict definition, but sort of the way that that definition has roots into other concepts that we disagree with. Our worldviews are different. And so consequently, the way that we use language is different. So I think that there was a lot of confusion that happened uh, as a consequence of that. Uh, that being said, I think that I guess I'll now just summarize our major points. I think that my biggest point is that when wrong happens, there's a gut feeling that something needs to be done to fix that. And it's not just like happy, happy, joy, joy, snap, it all goes away. There's something to it. And that that's not only good, that, that it's baked into the universe and that that's good. That was uh, either an intentional decision by God or just the way that things have to be because that's who God is. And you know, God is just and God is good. And so therefore those consequences are good. Uh, and I think that, so I think that that's the fundamental point that I was driving at. And then I was trying to make sense of how that can be put in context because I agree that just vengeance for vengeance sake doesn't help anybody. And so by putting it in the context of restoration, of trying to fix a relationship, of trying to help somebody learn something, of growing as a person, uh, that that directs the way that that consequence will actually play out. Uh, and so it's not suffering for suffering's sake, but it is agency uh, and it is protecting or I guess defending that impulse that we have to defend those we love. I think that your fundamental point is that people uh, often think that just hurting people who hurt others is enough and that that's not enough. Uh, and I think that the way that you attempted to argue that is to say that that is often necessary when it comes to the practicalities, but it's not abstractly the case. I uh, that if we were to encounter a situation 
where you could fully restore the situation without any more suffering happening, uh, that that would be good. That, that would be sort of an idyllic situation that would be desirable. Uh, and I think that our disagreement comes there is do we believe that the world is just accidentally such that uh, there are consequences or do we believe that that is like deeply meaningful in a way that we should conceptually defend? Uh, I think that's really where our disagreement is. Uh, and I would figure that that probably has to do with our belief about, you know, like what life is about. Uh, but that's probably for another discussion. Sounds good. Um, yeah, I actually think what came up during the Q&A that I sort of accidentally said, and then I was like, wait, it's a great way to sum up my position. It's <laughs> that I think that suffering is always at best a means to an end and never the end itself. And I would argue a pure retributive theory, for lack of a better term, treats it as a component of the end. I don't think, um, I, I don't think that uh, you're saying that like retribution um, by itself is enough. I get the distinction, you know, retribution is not equal to justice, but um, I would say that um, maybe ultimately the way you're viewing it, it's still part of the end rather than simply means to an end. And when I say means to an end, it's a means to a, a some of the abstract concepts, the end of justice. It's not just a means to the, the more practical stuff, but still just the suffering by itself is not part of the end to set things right. Um, and yeah, I think the only other thing I was going to mention is one of the reasons the whole accruing sins and hell thing struck me as absurd is like, and why to me, the, some of these really abstract things are, or kind of in time sort of things help us test their good thought experiments for what we actually think justice is, is they're more abstracted. And I think what happens is, people who have a retributive theory start to feel like if Hitler is in that torture chamber suffering for a certain amount of time, that that is fixing things. And I would question that partly because I want to first point out, it doesn't literally undo the Holocaust. Like the Holocaust still happened in history. So that part, as far as like the past is unfixable in a sense, like it doesn't literally time travel like we were talking about before. So it can't be that. So then is it when it's isolated and just sitting in that torture chamber, it starts to seem like suffering for suffering or, or as simply a part of the end of justice. And I would say it's not part of the end. Maybe it ends up being a lot of times. And I think it does end up being a lot of times part of the means. Um, one last quick thing I wanted to say is like, I really value agency and free will. I'm a big proponent of that. And I'm a big uh, proponent of the idea that God can't step step in to prevent us from doing things. Otherwise, we're, we don't have free will. Um, and so some amount of like consequences and suffering happen there. But once again, I feel like that's almost a side effect of like having free will rather than a core component of 
bringing justice. So anyway, guys, thanks so much for yes, coming. Thank you. Uh, this is super fun. Thanks everyone for watching online. Uh, well, thank you, Robert, for hosting. Absolutely. Um, yeah, this is super fun. Super, super fun. So thanks everyone for being here. And um, for the people watching and listening, please uh, leave comments, give us your thoughts on what you think justice is in, um, I don't know, 3,000 words or less um, <laughs> by Monday. Um, and uh, yeah, let us know what you think. Thanks a lot. All right. Goodbye. Yeah. Thumbs up.